Welcome to DFS MVP, Daily Fantasy Sports Most Valuable Podcast, presented by 4 for 4 Football. I'm 4 for 4 Senior DFS Editor Chris Raybon, joined as always by Associate Editor and Roster Coach Co-Founder, Mr. TJ Hernandez. What's good, TJ? What's up, Chris? Just getting uh, ready for Lucky Week 13, down to the uh, home stretch, kind of. It's almost December, so I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, man. We've been hustling all season long that was the name of the song that played us in today hustling by rick ross off 2006's port of miami and that song just kind of keeps me focused when i'm working you know the season is kind of a grind we're in week 13 um people like you and me we're basically grinding these numbers um working on this stuff every single day uh for four or five months so um really like that song just as a song to keep me focused or even a good workout song as well yeah, it fits into uh, to the theme of what we've been doing, grinding, hustling, shmoney. I like it. Most definitely. Quickly, guys, the 4-for-4 four four DraftKings Championship qualifier. Only two more weeks left to qualify for the championship in week 15. You can go to 4for4.com, the DFS menu at the top of the page the drop down you should see a link to the 4 for 4 DK Championship qualifier congratulations to Rectums last week <laughs> it's a funny name uh he finished in first place Tyrod Taylor David Johnson LaShawn McCoy Odell Beckham Corey Coleman Muhammad Sanu Will Ty Jeremy Hill and the Giants defense with a score of 181.74. So it was a low-scoring week. He had Odell Beckham with Corey Coleman in a little game stack. Will Ty included there as well. Uh, Jeremy Hill, just volume play at the flex position. David Johnson was one of the keys. And Sean McCoy as well. So congratulations to Rekt underscore ums on that first-place finish. Let us get right into our quarterbacks. Today, our DFS theory segment, by the way, will be on exploiting price drops and just about price changes in general, what they mean, when there's value there, um, when should we avoid players whose prices are rising, when should we target players whose prices are falling. But as far as quarterback, Drew Brees, we're going right back to the well. Why? Because he is at home He's 9,300 on FanDuel, 7,600 on DK, going against the Detroit Lions since 2014. Breeze is averaging a ridiculous 340.5 passing yards and 2.64 touchdowns. And he also adds 0.14 touchdowns rushing as well at home, which are just absolutely absurd numbers. He probably has the highest floor of any quarterback and ceiling of any quarterback pretty much every time he's playing at home the Saints are home favorite with the highest implied point total on the slate it's currently 29.5 the over under in that game is 53 and a half we could see it even potentially rise from there um, throughout the week 
And the Detroit Lions defense is ranked 28th. So they're in the bottom five in 4 for 4 signature metric, which is strength of schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. TJ? Yeah, I was going to talk a little bit about uh, Tyrod Taylor. He probably would have been my favorite quarterback this week, but the news of uh, Sammy Watkins has me a little nervous, and I think we'll get into that a little bit later. But uh, my favorite quarterback this week is Aaron Rodgers, 8500 on FanDuel, $6,700 on DraftKings. Really like him on DraftKings where he's priced outside the top five. Uh, Green Bay's favored by 26 with an implied point total over 25, and they've pretty much been doing their, their scoring exclusively through the air. So if they're going to put up a big number, we should expect a lot of points from Aaron Rodgers. Uh, per the uh, red zone scoring on 4 for 4, 87% of Green Bay's red zone touchdowns have come through the air this year. That's the most in the league. And over the last six weeks, Aaron Rodgers leads all quarterbacks in red zone expected value. We've talked about this metric quite a bit this year. Uh, basically just measures how, how many touchdowns we'd expect a player to have based on the starting field position of their red zone opportunities. Rodgers by far and away uh, the leader in that stat recently. And Houston ranks well in... Uh, adjusted fantasy points allowed but over the last six weeks they've been average even below average in quite a few stats against quarterbacks allowing a 6.3 percent touchdown rate overall and a 29 percent touchdown rate in the red zone since week seven so a lot of scoring opportunity there for Rodgers yeah and I know we're going to talk a lot more about price drops later on but Rodgers salary of 8500 on FanDuel is the lowest of the season for him and his $6,700 salary on DK is the lowest it's ever been. So really interesting situation here. I think that a lot of people are going to be off of this game in general because of a multitude of different factors. I think the over-under is kind of, I think it's the sixth lowest on the slate, 45 and a half. And then there's some concerns that it's going to snow, but the winds are really only about 7 to 10 miles per hour, which isn't concerning at all. And absent of heavy wind, precipitation really isn't that much of a a hindrance. So I really do like Aaron Rodgers, especially in tournaments where I think him and the whole Packers offense may go over owned relative to their to their upside this week. My key stat, Colin Kaepernick is the quarterback five in terms of points per game on the season. 22.3 FanDuel points per game and 23.7 DraftKings points per game. That might have snuck up on you. Yeah, he's even had a tournament winning potential lately. So Colin Kaepernick, a good guy to pay attention to. Uh, my key stat, Seattle has an implied point total, five and a half points over their point per game average this year. And teams have thrown 72% of the time in the red zone against Carolina over the last six weeks. Huh, that's interesting. And on the other side of the ball, I actually tweeted a stat, Carolina, inside the 10-yard line over the past six weeks on first and second down has run 16 times and thrown once. So Carolina, Cam Newton's has, relying on those long touchdowns or rushing touchdowns. Um, mm-hmm. So his receivers you know, are going to have some, some volatility there probably for the rest of the season. Uh, TJ, Matt Barkley put up a pretty decent fantasy game last week. He is still priced very low going against the 49ers, which are one of the worst defenses 
against quarterbacks? Any interest in him in tournaments this week? Yeah, I think I'll definitely have some exposure to him, especially because uh, this week is, it looks like it's shaping up to be a week where you're really going studs and duds, so getting a cheap quarterback in there against this San Francisco defense, I think uh, that I do like his complimentary pieces a lot as well, so I don't know if I'll, I'll end up being uh, way overexposed to him because I think I could get some uh, Barkley exposure through his weapons, but at the same time, if I like his weapons, then I should probably throw him out uh, at quarterback in a couple spots. Wait, are, are we really calling the Bears weapons? Like, are like who's a weapon? I mean, I like. <laughs> I, I mean, I like their. I like Marcus Wilson, I guess, but like, I don't like. They dropped. What did they do? Set the record for drops last week. Like, are you talking about just Marcus Wilson? Or are you like talking? Yeah, about- I mean, <laughs> I, I think we'll get into it. But I mean, uh, I, I like Wilson and um, and Howard this week, and I think that um, I think Meredith will will have some uh, potential just because the targets were there last week. He just didn't do anything with them. But San Francisco's so bad that um, anybody catching the ball or running against them has pretty decent upside. Yeah, definitely. I think actually the. That stack is pretty interesting. Barkley, Howard, Wilson, or even Barkley, Howard, um, just because of you can kind of get exposure to that that whole offense in a game where they'll probably pace up a lot because San Francisco runs a ton of plays on the other side. And then, yeah, news is Sammy Watkins had a setback. Um, this guy just can't seem to, to get healthy this season. So does that kind of put you in a situation where now you don't really want to be overexposed to Tyrod Taylor at all? The The over-under in this game right now is 49.5. I'm not sure what will happen as the week progresses, given the Watkins news, but at this current over-under, it would be the highest over-under Tyrod Taylor has ever played in. Yeah, I mean, I was... I was really liking Tyrod earlier in the week, like I mentioned um, in the intro, but I, I, I was hoping we could kind of throw all of Buffalo's kind of scoring red zone stats out the window with Watkins back. They've just been so run heavy, but at the same time, Oakland has allowed um, pretty efficient fantasy scores, a lot of points. I wouldn't be surprised, even though this would be the highest over under that you mentioned. Um, Oakland has hit the over in their games nine out of 11 games uh, this year. So always a lot of scoring with the Raiders. Their opponents averaging over 25 points per game. I, I would have really loved Tyrod as a cash option this week. Um, now I'm pretty hesitant all around without walk-ins. Yeah, and, you know, about I mean, about the red zone usage, I think Watkins actually, most of his touchdowns last year at least were pretty long touchdowns. So maybe the red zone usage wouldn't um, change that much. Oakland is... Uh, 30th, I believe, no, 27th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running back, so could be another LaShawn McCoy game. TJ, I actually wanted to ask you, since you mentioned that in Oakland going over the total uh, a lot, how do you approach a team's record versus the over-under? Because uh, as I understand it, Vegas is trying to set an over-under that's kind of going to, it's going to kind of be 50-50, where, or at least in theory it should be 50-50. So when, when you see a team going over a lot, I w- I'm guessing Vegas kind of adjusts that as the season progresses. So if, there, if there's two teams that tend to go over a lot, they'll probably inflate it a little. So do you, do you look at those 
numbers versus the over-under as, okay, these numbers are going to regress, or do you kind of look at those as, okay, these teams are going over, so I should keep targeting them? Yeah, I kind of look at it on a on a case by case basis. I mean, I think usually what we see is um, you you see something like this regress, uh, except for at the, at the extremes. I think we always end up seeing one or two teams uh, at the extreme each year. I think Oakland's probably one of those teams because they have such a high power offense and their defense has been so mediocre uh, throughout the year. So. They are one team that I, I kind of expect a, a game like this where they're averaging 27 points per game. Uh, Buffalo's been pretty decent scoring in their own right. Um, I think you kind of have to take it by a case-by-case case basis. But usually I would, I would expect Vegas to catch on like you, like you say, but I do think there are outliers that we can pinpoint like this one. Gotcha. Let's go to running back. My guy is Jordan Howard. You just talked about him. Matt Barkley's best weapon, 7,400 on FanDuel, 6,900 on DraftKings going against the 49ers. He's a home favorite. The Niners' defense is ranked dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the running back position. Howard has 99 or more total yards in each of his last four games. He's at 4.5 yards a carry or more in his last four, which is encouraging. Um, You always want to see... Uh, a running back able to kind of consistently post a decent yard per carry number that that should help with this floor the Niners have allowed 5.18 yards per carry on the season and they have allowed allowed excuse me a running back to gain 100 or more yards and or score a touchdown in each of their last 10 games so essentially every game except that week one game where Todd Gurley and the Rams couldn't manage any offense and got shut out TJ? Yeah, I mean, uh, this week, uh, I mean, I don't think we're going to do anybody much of a service by talking about the, the obvious studs. So I'll give you another value pick at running back. Uh, one of my guys this week is Devontae Booker, 6,400 on FanDuel, 5,100 on DraftKings. Um, the, the Capri Bibbs thing never really came into fruition. We've seen Booker with 25-plus touches in back-to-back games. He had 100 total yards last week versus a Kansas City defense that's been really good against running backs. And we have Denver in a spot where uh, they're favored by five against a Jacksonville defense that ranks outside the top 20 in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Um, only four teams over the last six weeks have given a bigger chunk of their workload to the running backs. Denver's given 61% of all team touches to running backs over that time span. So uh, very concentrated offense. We can really uh, get a good idea of where the ball's going in this offense, how the touches are going to be broken up. So I always like that predictability. Uh, always like the cheap running back volume. So Devontae Booker's a good play for me this week. Yeah, I love that. I think he's an amazing play um, at his price tag, given the workload he's getting in the defense that he will be facing. It's almost a run funnel type of defense because they've gotten a lot better against the pass with Jalen Ramsey, Prince of Mukamara in that secondary. So really like that. And I like the stack as well with the Broncos defense, who I'll talk about later. My key stat is in the last in five games, excuse me, as a home favorite this season, LeGarrette Blunt is averaging 1.4 rushing touchdowns per game. Yeah, I think uh, somehow Patriots are going to fly under the radar this week. Uh, my key staff for running back, over the last six weeks, only six wide receivers on the main slate are averaging more targets per game than David Johnson. Mm. So at 9,200 
in, on FanDuel and 9500 on DK. Is DJ worth it in tournaments, or are you going Le'Veon Bell at 9,300 on FanDuel, 9,200 on DraftKings? How are you approaching those guys in GPPs? Because they're obviously good cash game plays. Yeah, I mentioned um, that I think this is really kind of a a high-low stutter dud week, but in tournaments, that always kind of makes me want to... uh, attack that middle tier tier of players because they oftentimes go largely ignored when we're in situations like this um i think bell's in a spot against the giants where i'm really going to want uh quite a bit of exposure to him um i mean johnson also is getting so much it's just really hard for me in any week not to have any exposure to them i think this will probably be a week where i'm um pretty like close to the field just because it's kind of a toss-up yeah, and I mean, I think, I'm guessing Johnson will probably be higher owned just because, I mean, he's actually been on more of a tear than Bell with a higher floor lately. And also, I think, I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that Bell actually scores a little more on the road for the Steelers um, because Big Ben and Brown, just their touchdown um, their touchdown production at home is ridiculous, which takes a little bit away from Bell. But um, I, I, I like Johnson slightly more this week, but yeah, it's... It's it's an interesting situation. I really do like the idea of tar- kind of targeting these middle tier guys like Devonte Booker, Legarrette Blunt, and, and and some middle tier res- receivers as well because I think there'll be a lot of ownership concentrated probably in the Saints Lions game and things like that. So I think there's a lot of plays this week that could go under owned. If for the listeners out there, if you've been thinking about trying your hand at max entering or entering a ton of lineups in gpps i i like this week as a week to do it because there's just a lot of players um that you can potentially have exposure to and i'm not sure exactly how ownership is going to work out but i'm sure there'll be some places to exploit some low ownership of some players that are going to be in really good spots just because there's such an overwhelming amount of guys in good spots this week wide receivers antonio brown 9K on FanDuel, 9,100 on DraftKings. Since 2014, he's averaging 8.4 catches, 114 yards, and 1.05. That's right. He's averaging over a touchdown per game at home over the last two-plus seasons. And on the road, those numbers dip to 7.8 catches, 98 yards, and, and a half a touchdown. So really spiked weeks at home for Antonio Brown. And I did a Twitter poll. It's still going on, but I essentially asked, and I'll ask you this, TJ, um, after we get through all of our wide receivers, but I essentially asked people, if you had one tournament lineup, who would you play? Brown, Julio Jones, Mike Evans, or Odell Beckham? And Brown actually came up as the lowest um, percentage of responses. So that just makes me want to roster him even more he's obviously a good point in any format and then golden tate 5900 on fanduel that's a really great price for him he's actually a little more expensive on dk despite the ten thousand dollar less uh salary cap over tate's last six games he's averaging 6.67 catches 80.5 yards 0.33 touchdowns on nine targets per game so those are pretty much high-end wide receiver two numbers 
he he's averaging 13 FanDuel points per game over his last six, which would more than 2x his salary. And he's done all of that over the past six games, despite facing five teams in the top five of st- schedule-adjusted wide receiver fantasy points allowed. So that's even more amazing. And now he gets to take on a Saints defense that's ranked 18th. And who knows, it could be even worse than that. I mean, he did just give up three touchdown passes to Jared Goff. So Antonio Brown, Golden Tate, those are my guys this week. TJ? Yeah, the the lineups I've been building, or at least my favorite lineups, haven't had uh, much of this Detroit-New Orleans game. But I think not having exposure to that game is a a really bad idea. So I'm kind of going back and reworking things a little bit. Uh, but my wide receivers, uh, going to throw out a couple value guys here. We kind of touched on this guy already. Marcus Wilson, 5400 on FanDuel, $4,000 on DraftKings. Um, put up an 8-125 one line on 11 targets last week. Uh, second game of the season, but his first game with, um, with Matt Barkley. And we kind of saw this earlier in the year with Chicago where a, a backup quarterback could come and kind of have rapport with a receiver that we might not expect. Uh, so that, that Marcus Wilson might be to Matt Barkley what Cameron Meredith was to Brian Hoyer. San Francisco, uh, just attacking them any way possible is always a good idea. They've allowed the highest touchdown rate and highest fantasy points per attempt through the air over the last six weeks. They rank 31st in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. And Chicago has the highest relative team total of the week. They're projected to score almost a full touchdown over their point-per-game average. And we always kind of want to know what that means. Where Where's the increase in scoring going to come from? Uh, they have a 70% red zone pass rate. So uh, if they do have increased scoring, we would expect it to come through the air. And Marcus Wilson could be uh, the beneficiary there. Another really nice value wide receiver this week is Tyreek Hill, 5800 on FanDuel, $4,600 on DraftKings. This is obviously assuming Jeremy Macklin's still out. Uh, he did return to practice in a limited fashion, but uh, that injury seems seems pretty bad. There's no guarantee he's going to be back this week. Uh, with Macklin out, Hill has double-digit targets in two of his last three games. We know he's going to get a little bit of run in the rushing game, so uh, that kind of helps out a little bit. Not a huge floor in the rushing game, but it doesn't hurt. And then he does have that added return upside. So a little bit of added insurance with his versatility. Uh, his price actually dropped $200 on both FanDuel and DraftKings after his big game. But that was a uh, late Sunday night game. So oftentimes salaries come out before uh, that game's over. So that's probably why we see that. So if Jeremy Macklin plays, how would you treat Hill? Would Would you still play him? in tournaments or would you fade him completely because you think he'd still be owned or like what do you what would you do there yeah that's a tough one i mean i i assume that if macklin does make it back this week it's in a very limited role uh, my hope would be that it drives down hill's ownership percentage just enough to roll him out but uh i do think coming off of the big game on national television uh people are going to be a little more privy to it than they might be otherwise um, so I'll probably still have exposure to him in tournaments, but if Macklin's back, it'll probably take Hill out of cash game consideration for me. Yeah, I think at this point, you know, I really don't like the fact that he's going to be pretty hugely owned if um, Macklin is out, but Hill is a really good player, and he's still priced 
below the average player and that's when when I see a situation and we'll talk about this later too but when there's a situation where a player starts at min price and he's working his way up and he's still on the way up and he hasn't even reached that average salary on either site which is about 66 on FanDuel and 58 on DK when he's still below that and he he just has humongous upside because I think Tyreek Hill is just a really good um player um I I've been really impressed what I've seen with him um, running some of his routes um, downfield. He's not just a. He, to me, he's already a, he's already a lot better than a guy like Tavon Austin, who I think people are going to compare him to just because he plays in all three facets. Um, so I think you at this point you definitely have to have exposure to Hill just because he can one play and it could just be a a, a touchdown that can make him hit value at his current price. So um, do like Hill probably have exposure in tournaments no matter what happens with uh, Jeremy Macklin this week. My key stat, Jordy Nelson's FanDuel salary of 7400 is the lowest it has been since week 17 of 2013. And his drafting salary of seven k is the lowest it has been since week 2 of 2014. TJ? My key stat... Uh, over the last six weeks, only four wide receivers on the main slate have at least a 30% target share. Two of those players are teammates, Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders. Yeah, man. Um, wrote about Sanders in my Raybonds review column this week because he had eight targets and I think all but one game coming in the last week. And I think it was a situation, and the Chiefs were, I believe, at the time ranked 29th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, but Sanders was only about 2 or 3% owned in the Millie Maker, and I think that was just a situation where the looking, like, overemphasizing the Vegas total kind of pushed people off Sanders, because on paper, you know, if you didn't, if you took the Vegas total out of account, I mean, just look at the volume and the matchup, um, he would have been a really good player, so like that Brandon Cooks put up a straight goose egg last week killed a lot of people's um breeze stacks and things like that Michael Thomas now leads the Saints in pretty much all receiving categories so TJ what are you doing with these guys Cooks versus Thomas Personally, I actually think Willie Sneed is the best play for the Saints in this game because Sneed, his price is down. He will be going against Quandre Diggs, the Lions slot corner, who's ranked 85th in PFF's cornerback grades, while the outside guys, Darius Slay and Nevin Lawson, are ranked 5th and 23rd, respectively. So... I like Willie Sneed a lot in this game. I think I think uh, Thomas will be very highly owned. And then I, I'm not sure exactly how people are going to treat Cooks. I almost feel like too many sharp people are going to be like, oh, well, he's, there's going to be recency bias, so you should target Cooks. And then Cooks will end up high owned. So what do you? how are you treating the Saints receivers this week, TJ? Yeah, I'll probably end up being one of those people, not to say that I'm sharp, but that's the theory I'm going to go with this week. Um, I mean, I think uh, even outside of, of uh, the industry, there still be enough people that, that aren't on him. Uh, just looking at DraftKings pricing, Thomas actually jumped Cooks in salary this week, so that's pretty uh, noteworthy. I, I do have a problem with the, the squeaky wheel theory. Um, 
how do you feel about the squeaky wheel theory? Because I have a I have a very strong take on it. I mean, I think there's some merit to it. I think it's like it's kind of like a case by case basis. I mean, in this particular situation, you know, I don't know that they're gonna. I mean, I guess I should say in this situation because Sean Payton is such a genius. Actually, I think that if he if he wants to get Brandon Cooks the ball and he really wants to get Brandon Cooks the ball, like he can get Brandon Cooks the ball because I mean, you know, they had what? They have a, a throwback pass from Willie Sneed to Tim Hightower in the fourth quarter. Like t- Sean Payton's just a genius. So I mean, if he wants to to grease the squeaky wheel, I think he can. Um, but I mean, I don't just blindly follow it. I, I kind of take it on a case by case basis depending on the quarterback and, and the coaching staff. Um, what about you? What's your take? Yeah, well, I'm not going to throw Cook's home splits out the window just because of last week, but uh, my thing with the squeaky wheel is I think it's a complete trash theory because we never hear about a third-string wide receiver getting the grease. And the reason the the squeaky wheel thing happens is because uh, it's a lot of really, really good wide receivers, and they're the ones that are doing the talking. And because they're good and they're, it's a very high-variance position, uh, it's not often that those good players are going to have multiple bad games in a row. So, yeah, maybe there is some correlation with uh, the fact that they were, they were upset after a bad game, but uh, I think the causation is is pretty bad there. Yeah, I can see that. That's definitely fair. I mean, I, I think I think there's two sides to it. Like, I, I don't think my take on it is that strong, but I do understand where you're coming from. But I, I also do think that, again, like, depending on the quarterback and the coaching staff, I think there are things that they can do to help get a guy back involved. Because I remember Peyton Manning used to talk about this a lot when he was in Denver, how when he had those three mouths to feed at wide receiver used to talk about how you know when one would have a bad game they would make a concerted effort to get him involved the next game so you or 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 a couple bad games in a row so a lot of times you know Eric Decker would have a couple down games and then they'd say you know let's get him involved or Wes Welker or Demarius Thomas and when you have a guy like Peyton Manning you know at the helm you can do that and that's why I think you know when you have Drew Brees and Sean Payton I think you can you know draw up a lot schemes to get Brandon Cooks um the football Whereas if it was just like, uh, you know, somebody maybe like in Buffalo or Miami or something like that where, you know, or maybe not Miami because Adam Gase is pretty good. But, you know, certain other situations, I think there's a lot more merit to your theory, TJ, just about like it's just kind of natural um, variance. So um, this week, you know, I, like I said, I, I, I like Cooks. Like Snead is my favorite play. Cooks is my second favorite. And then Thomas. Um, because that's how I think the ownership is going to fall this week. And I think, you know, Snead has some really good home splits as well, similar to Cooks, where Snead is averaging uh, over five and a half catches, over 70 yards a game at home as well. So um, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out. I mean, they could conceivably all three hit value. Um, and then, TJ, I'll ask you the same question I asked Twitter. Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, or Mike Evans – you have one tournament lineup. Which one are you going with? Is that just like this week or just oh, yeah, this blind week. pick this, for receiver? No, this week because you have Brown. Well, on FanDuel, Brown, is, Brown and Beckham are 9K. Um, Evans is 85. And then Julio is actually the lowest he's been in a while, 83. And then on DK, uh, Brown is 91. And then you have 
uh, Julio 87, Evans 86, Beckham 85. So the pricing a little different on both sites. So if you want to answer two different answers for different sites, you can. But just in general, I mean, I think all four of these guys are going to be somewhat significantly owned. So which one would you which one would you roll with? See, I think Julio is going to be like the Uber Chuck this week. Um, I. I think Brown is my favorite guy at home against the Giants this week just because I think, uh, I mean, we haven't seen it a ton, but I do think there is a chance that Le'Veon could cut into his ownership a little bit. Um, I I love Brown as a tournament play this week. Even though I like Julio and Evans a little more in cash, I, I think in a GPP I'd probably take Antonio. Yeah, I'm going that way too. I think I think that's the play because, number one, it's he's the, the highest priced of them, so I think that will kind of maybe dissuade people a little bit. And, you know, I know the Giants defense has been pretty good, but I mean, Janoris Jenkins, he's been good, but he's not going to keep up with Antonio Brown because nobody does. So I I like that as well. Um, I think you're probably right about Julio. He'll probably be the highest owned with Evans second. Um, Beckham is probably sneaky um, as well, because if that game kind of turns into a game where Brown starts eating, um, and the Steelers put up their usual gaudy numbers at home, then Beckham might have to be a little more involved. Um, the Giants have kind of played a pretty cake schedule. They have a six-game winning streak, um, and they haven't really played a ton of good offenses. So we haven't really seen a lot of those situations. Even though the Giants have been in some close games, we haven't really seen some real big shootout type of situations for the Giants yet. So um, I think Beckham's a sneaky play. Brown's the go-to um, for me. Tight end, Travis Kelsey, 6,300 on FanDuel and 4,700 on DraftKings. He is a tight end that, because of the way the Chiefs like to run their offense, they want to minimize Alex Smith for the most part. They want to run the ball, play conservative style. Travis Kelsey usually gets the most opportunities when the Chiefs are an underdog. And that's not usually true for tight ends in general tend to produce more when their teams are home favorites just because those touchdowns tend to come most as home favorites and tight ends are somewhat uh, touchdown dependent. But Travis Kelsey's actually averaging 9.0 targets per game as an underdog this season compared to just 6.6 as a favorite. So like Kelsey in the spot as an underdog on the road against the Falcons, the Falcons are 20th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the tight end position. They're allowing a league-high 9.3 targets per game to the position. And they just allowed Jermaine Gresham to score season-high in fantasy points. And it was on 10 targets. It was his best fantasy game in two years. So, like Travis Kelsey this week, ownership... Probably depressed if Macklin sits because then I think Hill gets more ownership, which I don't think people are going to want to do the Kelsey Hill stack. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I don't think people are going to want to do that. So I think you'd get Kelsey at pretty decent ownership, especially if uh, Jeremy Macklin sits. TJ? Yeah, I love Kelsey this week. Uh, another guy that I re- really like, and he's actually a, almost a perfect price pivot off of Kelsey, at least on FanDuel, and that's Jimmy Graham, uh, $6,400 on FanDuel, $5,500 on DraftKings. This is his lowest priced on FanDuel since uh, week four. I mentioned a little bit earlier that Seattle has 
one of the highest relative team totals of the week, which means increased scoring, which means more passing against the Panthers in the red zone. And Jimmy Graham has accounted for 28% uh, of the Seahawks red zone targets over the last six weeks. Carolina has allowed 90 yards or touchdown to an opposing tight end in four of the last five games, and they rank dead last in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to the position. Yeah, I like Graham a lot this week. I think for people wondering like what happened to Seattle's offense last week, they could not block Tampa Bay's front four with five offensive linemen. I think a big part of it was their center, Justin Britt, being out. He's been their best offensive lineman this season. He is tentatively due back this week, so that should be a boost um, for Seattle's offense. Um, we have seen in the past, especially when a team's center goes down, when, when a center is the team's top offensive lineman, it can really hurt the offense. We saw that with uh, Khalil in Carolina, where when he went down, the Panthers' offense really started to struggle a lot. And we've seen this in the past with the Browns, with Alex Mack, where they just couldn't really do anything. Their numbers were a lot different with Mack in and out of the lineup. So um, with Britt back, I think Seattle should have a lot more time back there to to throw and should be able to get Graham the ball. My key stat, Lance Kendricks is tied for third among tight ends over the last six weeks with 7.4 targets per game. Uh, my key stat, you kind of hijacked it a little bit, but I'll expand on what you touched on. Uh, last week, Jermaine Gresham was the first Cardinals tight end to see double-digit targets in a game in almost four calendar years. Uh, no Cardinals tight end has seen at least 10 targets since Rob Hausler on December 9th of 2012. Do you think that was a function of, like, you know, John Brown having a sickle cell and Floyd being somewhat unproductive and just kind of in and out of the lineup himself or do you think that was a function of the Falcons uh, not being able to defend the position very well Uh, I think a little bit of both we've seen the Cardinals kind of working in the tight end a little bit uh, over the past couple weeks I think Gresham had a five or a six target game before this Um, so there were a a few indicators especially against Atlanta but I don't think anybody would have expected a, a 10 target game out of an Arizona tight end yeah, and it also might have something to do with, like you said, they're working in the tight end. Their offensive line, too, has really been struggling as well. Um, they've been they've suffered numerous injuries along the offensive line, and Carson Palmer is not the type of quarterback that's really going to be shifting around in the pocket. And he's not he's no Aaron Rodgers. We'll put it that way. I don't think Carson Palmer is washed in the way that Peyton Manning was last year where he just couldn't throw the ball well anymore. I think Peyton, um, excuse me, Carson Palmer can still throw the ball fine, but the difference is this year the offensive line is not really going to protect them well. So um, they're having to throw to David Johnson a lot more, and they're having maybe to work in the tight end now more on some some shorter routes. So uh, I think that's what's going on in Arizona. TJ... Eric Ebron and Antonio Gates both goose-egged. It seemed like everyone goose-egged last week. Who would you rather roster this week, Ebron or Gates? I don't think either of them are cash plays. Um, I do like Gates' touchdown upside just because 
he gets so many looks inside the red zone, even though uh, he does share looks with Hunter Henry. I still think I'm on Gates. Yeah, I I like Gates in this spot. I think he's really sneaky. I think people will really be spooked because number one, he's old, so people there's already been just uh you know certain a, a good chunk of the community that probably just didn't want to play Gates all year, even though he's been scoring a ton of touchdowns still near the top of the league in red zone targets. But the Bucks are 22nd in schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed, and you know this is a spot where he'll probably have. I'd say under 5% ownership in tournaments across the industry. So I like Gates in this spot. I think Ebron's ownership will be a lot higher. TJ, we know this Lions-Saints game has the highest over-under. That means it is projected for the most touchdowns. We know tight ends are the cheapest uh, way to get exposure to touchdowns in these high-scoring games. So that said... Do you like Eric Ebron or Kobe Fleener more for a tournament play? I don't even know if Fleener's the best option on his own team. <laughs> Didn't he only play? I think he only played 18 snaps last week. I'm going with Ebron. Josh Hill or Kobe Fleener? <laughs> um, Fleener's actually seen quite a few red zone targets <laughs> over the last five or six weeks. Oh, God. I can't play a guy playing 18 snaps. Josh Hill. Woo, Josh Hill. You know, I was. It's funny because um, in our notes, like I have, I have written down like Ebron or Gates, and then Ebron or Fleener, and I really almost wrote down uh, Fleener or Hill, and I didn't, <laughs> but I didn't even write it down. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think Hill had six catches last week. So, do we know Detroit struggles against the tight end? So, if you're going to, if you're looking for kind of that absolute min price play at twenty five hundred dollar play. Um, maybe on a short slate or something like that. Josh Hill is your guy. You heard it here. Let's go to kicker. TJ, who you got? At kicker, uh, I'm going with Mason Crosby, $4,600 versus Houston, almost minimum salary. Uh, Green Bay is favored by six. I think they're the second, second biggest favorite of the week, so uh, we shouldn't expect them to be in a spot where uh, they stop kicking field goals. Implied point total over 25, so lots of scoring opportunities. Uh, indoors against Houston, Green Bay's heavy pass volume, especially in the red zone, means that uh, scoring opportunities should theoretically be more volatile uh, just because uh, it's harder to, to, to convert those throws. But uh, I, I do like Crosby this week. Is I believe the game is not indoors, by the way. It's in um, it's in Green Bay. So the okay. the weather, we actually, like, there actually is weather, are weather concerns for that game. So that's something to keep in mind. I, I like Crosby as well. But um, the wind doesn't seem to be an issue, but... Um, there is precipitation chance, so that's something to uh, monitor before you uh, throw Crosby in. And at defense, I got the Denver Broncos, 5K on FanDuel, 3,900 on DraftKings. Hopefully, they will not be owned too much because they're the highest-priced defense, but they're second in points per game. Among DSTs, they'll face Blake Bortles. The Jags are ranked 26th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed. And they've coughed up 22 turnovers this year. That's second most in the league. So anytime you can get a defense as talented as the Broncos going against an offense that is as mistake-prone as the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think you just have massive 
upside there. It didn't pay off last week with the Buffalo Bills, and I think that will also probably depress ownership because people are saying, oh, maybe maybe we shouldn't be targeting the Jaguars with these expensive defenses, but I'm going right back to the well there. We know there's a lot of variance in the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos' um, defense put up 20 or more points this week. Let's get into our DFS theory segment. Again, we're going to be talking about salary changes. As you guys have probably seen, salaries constantly fluctuating every week throughout the season. Some salaries are a lot different than they were when the season opened or even a lot different than they were a few weeks ago. So salary changes and paying attention to them is very important because... The, the way the salary algorithms work is when a player puts up a, a huge game or something, his salary gets priced up. And then as a player starts to have duds or something like that, he'll price, he'll get priced down. So when you see these salary drops, it's because of these floor games. So what that's telling you is that a player is not being priced reflective to his true upside because you know so let's say he hit 80,000 8k sorry as a peak salary but now he's down to 6k you you know that at some point a salary algorithm which is uh, you know unbiased for the most part I know I'm sure the sites do do some manual adjustments but in general if a salary algorithm or you know whatever set whatever is setting the salaries is setting a guy to a certain salary that's pretty high and then it goes down you know that that upside is still there it didn't disappear now the of course that's assuming that opportunity um, remains the same so really think these salary um, movements are something that you should pay attention to on 444.com in the DFS subscription if you go to the DFS menu and there is a report called Player Pricing Report where you can see for any site the player's salary currently. It's changed from last week. It's changed from where it opened the season in week one, his percentage of the cap and all that good stuff. If you click on his, um, click on him, you can see a, a log with his salary uh, for every week of the season and what he produced. Um, at that salary so you can get a really good picture of kind of how the salary how a player salary excuse me has been moving throughout the season and this is something that I think people should pay attention to uh, a lot more in DFS so I guess TJ when when are you usually looking for value when it comes to price drop or well, why do you think why do you think there are price drops, and then why do you think when do you usually look for value, and, and then when are you kind of fading price drops? Yeah, so um, touching back on one thing that you mentioned about the salary algorithm, and um, I I obviously don't work for FanDuel or DraftKings, so I don't know if this is completely true, but seemingly this year prices have changed uh, in anticipation of matchups a little bit. So that's definitely worth noting when we're talking about price drops this year. Um, when I'm looking for uh, 
value and price drops them. Uh, I really like in an ideal situation, we find a price drop that's combined with uh, lower ownership. And basically what that is, is just a, a big uh, reaction to recency bias. Usually this is with uh, players that we know very well, players that are, are generally studs. So if their price is going down and you're getting them at a lower ownership, that's a really fantastic spot to be uh, targeting these, these price drop guys. But um, there are spots where... You're even looking for price drops in in cash games because a lot of times that means you're getting a uh, discount on the volume. That's one thing that we can predict very well is the volume. So for um, running backs and wide receivers, I like to use a, a dollar per touch or a dollar per target metric. You can use season long. You can use the last uh, six weeks. You can use uh, projected volume or whatever it might be. But a lot of times that will give us the best indicator of where the, the price changes are impacting the players the most because that's where the the price change, usually a price drop, isn't accounting for that recent volume. It's just looking at recent performance. Um, another spot that I do like to look for uh, price drop value is one that I mentioned earlier. It's a price drop usually by the sites in anticipation of a tough matchup, uh, but prices came out before uh, maybe a game was over. So maybe prices came out Sunday night and the player plays on Monday night. He got thrust into a big role or has a really big game. Uh, a lot of times that's going to be really good value because the sites don't get a chance to adjust for that player's new role or a new injury. So um, that's another one when, when a player gets to um, – when a player is is coming in for injury, if it's, sometimes it's a it's a guy that was in a uh, maybe a, a backfield share where he was already a decent price player. Think of someone like a Jeremy Hill, and then he saw a price drop plus a role increase. Those are kind of the spots I'm looking to. Yeah, definitely. And another one you mentioned matchup, and I think that's very true. Sites are adjusting a lot for matchup, especially on DraftKings. And one thing that you can do as well is. You can look at a player's matchup in raw fantasy points and then compare it to a schedule-adjusted metric because sometimes you can find value there where a site is adjusting because maybe a team is ranked, say, 25th versus a position, but then you go to 4 for 4 schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed, and you see that team that's ranked 25th in raw fantasy points is only ranked 16th in you know schedule-adjusted, which means they're pretty mediocre and you know there shouldn't have really been... Or, or sorry, should be well, it would be the other way really. If they were ranked maybe tenth, and then you look and they're really ranked like sixteenth or something like that, and so their price would um would drop because the site thinking they're a tough matchup. But if once you adjust for strength to schedule, the matchup isn't that tough. So that's another situation where you can exploit a price drop. On the other hand, price increases. These I think make players uncomfortable sometimes i oh i see a lot on twitter people say you know i just can't play this guy now that he's at this price or something like that like i remember when antonio brown went to 10k i think it was on DraftKings, and people were like i just can't play him at that but like the week before he was 9.8 and everyone played him or something so tj when are you okay with targeting a player who has seen an increase in price and when do you kind of shy away yeah usually it's going to be a spot where i i can uh reliably predict a player very uh 
very comfortably over the field. And usually that's going to come from the running back position because we're really good at predicting uh, big games from our running backs. At quarterback, you can usually find replacements replaceable uh, volume or production at a, at a depressed price, even if a quarterback's in a fantastic spot at running back, that's a little bit harder. Um, a couple other things that, that I really want to think about is like, what are my goals? Am I paying up for a guy that is going to uh, really increase or decrease my floor or really increase my ceiling? So uh, a little bit of a different thought process if it's a cash or GPP. And then also, um, if the player is that much better than the field, is it uh, one of the biggest problems I have? You mentioned I, I can't pay 10K for Antonio Brown. You People look at these players in a vacuum, but if in an extreme example, if Antonio Brown's $10,000, but the other eight best plays are, are men's salary, then what do you care if he's $10,000? Obviously, that, that's never going to happen. But uh, if he fits into uh, what you think is an optimal lineup, then I don't I don't really care. We're trying to look at this thing as a whole. So I'm, I'm really trying to look at the game type that I'm playing, uh, what the effect's going to have on the rest of my lineup. If it's not going to have a huge impact on my other pieces, then really I don't care that much. And is it a, a position that I can reliably predict? If it is, then I'm okay with it in a cash game. If it's more volatile, um, I'm going to be a lot more price sensitive and want that volatile position at a high price uh, in a tournament. Yeah, well said. And I think it also goes back to understanding what is driving a player's price, especially when it's increasing. So, for example, I think last week there was a situation where you had David Johnson at 8900 on DraftKings and then Odo Beckham at 8800 And I thought Beckham, I mean, I thought both of those guys were really great tournament plays. But, you know, some people kind of thought, well, Odell Beckham is not as good of a play because you can just get David Johnson for 100 more. And in cash games, that's very true because when you look at their salaries, David Johnson's salary is being driven by not just his ceiling, but by his floor as well. Whereas Beckham's salary, he had a couple of really spiked weeks. And that's really what drives his salary. So with Beckham, his salary is just reflective of his ceiling. Um, so he's he wasn't a good cash game play and still pretty much isn't a good cash game play because his salary reflects his ceiling. His ceiling is the same as a guy like David Johnson. It's just that Johnson has a high floor. So in cash games, you exploit that by you know pretty much going with 100% Johnson and 0% Beckham or whatever. But in tournaments, I mean, it's a little... You, Beckham is, you know, would have been just as good a play because he's going to be a lot less owned than a guy like Johnson. So that's what you kind of have to look at when you're looking at these price increases and just understanding like what drives a player's salary. And especially with studs, like you mentioned, TJ, and it usually is at the running back position. Sometimes at quarterback too, like this week, Drew Brees' price went up, but I don't have a problem playing him because like you said, we can project, we can uh, comfortably project these guys, um, these studs where we have a lot of previous uh, games to work off of and it's they've been very consistent um we can reliably project these guys um for their floor and their ceiling and their median projection so that we can be confident that even if we're paying a high price for these guys that they're going to have a decent floor whereas like you said a wide receiver most wide receivers um the floors are going to be lower because they're not seeing a guaranteed 20 touches a game they, they're, they'll see maybe even if they have a 10 target floor there's no guarantee that more than five or six of those targets are even going to be caught so um 
wide receiver uh, is a position where I think you have to be a little more careful. Um, but that can be something where you target again in tournaments where people may be scared to 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 pay up. But TJ, I know you did some research on when salary um, drops are the most profitable. So why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so I just wanted to, I mean, I I talked about looking at these things in a vacuum. And obviously, we want to be looking at all of our players, all of our lineups on on a case-by-case basis. But it's also really valuable to uh, look at historical trends. That's why we've done things like the the playbooks on 4 for 4 um, for, for both sites and, and just going through and looking through trends. Uh, so for price drops, what I did is I went over to uh, Fantasy Labs, who that's our friend Jonathan Bale's site, and they have a really cool tool where you can just look at historical trends. And I just want to know if there's um, any inherent value in a, in a price drop agnostic of all other factors. Uh, so I'll just quickly run through these positions and, and talk about uh, how I factored and filtered each position. And uh, the way these, these trends work on... Uh, fantasy labs is they basically take historical pricing um, come up with a point expectation based on that price and then see if uh, if your filters whatever you filtered for does that group of players underperform or overperform relative to their salary so i filtered just for this year because uh it is pretty obvious that the sites have changed their uh, pricing algorithm so i don't want to make a, a pricing model that's using using old salaries so so at quarterback what we found was that on DraftKings, relative to their expected points compared to their salary the quarterback scored a little over two points over expectation which is pretty good when you consider the fact that we are looking at the entire population of quarterbacks that met this criteria. Uh, on DraftKings, their consistency was about 59% of the time, and the ownership of those quarterbacks with a $300 or more price change uh, were owned just 4.2% of the time. On FanDuel, it was a little less extreme. We saw quarterbacks scoring 1.8 points over expectation about 62% of the time, but uh, just 3.4% owned. So we see quarterbacks that when they do have a slight price drop, uh, usually it probably has to do a little bit with a, a dip in production. And because we can reliably predict quarterbacks fairly well, uh, these these players are usually outperforming their salary uh, when, th- when their salary does go down at least a little bit. So that's probably... Uh, not surprising, but also not crazily consistent either. Chris, do you have any uh, thoughts about the quarterbacks there? Now, I think you said it, summed it up pretty well. Quarterbacks, because we can reliably predict them when a price, when we see a price drop, we shouldn't, um, we should be looking to exploit it because um, as long as we trust our project projections, um, there should be value to be had. And if anything, it looks like the price decrease is depressing ownership yeah and moving on to running back uh did similar filters for running back looked at running backs whose price dropped 300 dollars or more over the last month uh instead of filtering by salary i filtered for players who were projected for at least 10 points so that way we uh, just get the population of players that are expected to have a, a pretty decent role in their offense and what we found was on on DraftKings. 
running backs performed uh, 3.8 points over expectation relative to their salary. And that was true 66% of the time. On FanDuel, pretty similar numbers. Running backs scored 3.6 points over their expected point production based on salary. That also was true 66% of the time. In both, both cases, the total running back population who saw their salary drop was only less than 5%. So probably not surprising because running backs, we have a really good idea of what their workload is going to be. Uh, that's a workload that's very rarely going to change. So uh, running back price changes is almost never based on uh, a change in production or a change in, in volume. So you can see a really consistent return on your money uh, if you are targeting these running backs with a reliable volume whose prices have dropped lately. Yeah, and that's because running backs, we know they have peaks and valleys, and we also know, for the most part, when they're going to occur. Running backs tend to struggle when they are big underdogs or when they're on the road or both so after a running back is an underdog or he's on the road for a game or two might have a bad game his price drops a little and then that will naturally coincide with a favorable situation which should be happening at least once in every three games or so if not more so these salary drops for running backs will probably naturally coincide with good spots and it's something we should be taking advantage of especially if people may be influenced by recency bias moving on to wide receiver i ran a pretty much the same filter looked at wide receivers whose price had dropped 300 dollars or more over the past month and then who were also projected for at least 10 points so seeing uh fair expected amount of work in their offense results way less extreme with wide receivers and i'll tell you why momentarily or why i think at least momentarily uh, on DraftKings, wide receivers whose price had dropped recently performed 1.2 points over expectation but uh, that consistency was way down we saw that just 51 percent of the time on FanDuel. that number was 1.7 points over expectations so a little bit higher but also not very reliable just 51 percent of the time uh, because there wasn't much in terms of, of reliable data i filtered uh for a bigger price drop i wanted to see if a wide receiver's price had dropped 500 dollars or more in the last month if uh they saw any noticeable expectation the numbers were um a little bit more uh reliable showed a little bit more value on DraftKings wide receivers whose price had dropped 500 dollars or more in the past month performed uh 1.3 points over expectation but again just 52 percent consistency there FanDuel is where we saw a little bit more reliable number 2.5 points over expectation, uh, 55% consistency. So we're getting a little bit closer to a reliable number. And I think the reason that we don't see as reliable of uh, value when it comes to wide receiver price drops is, one, there's just way more wide receivers who were projecting for a decent workload. So uh, a lot of players um, to bring these numbers closer to the mean. And outside of these really top wide receivers, a lot of times it's really a coin flip from week to week. So if we just go wide receiver based on a, a blind price drop, um, it's really not hard for wide receivers to have four or five game stretch, um, especially if it's someone that's only seen, you know, maybe maybe six or seven targets. If that seven target guy has a has a price drop, um, his his return to his mean or to some kind of league mean isn't necessarily going to come very quickly. So I think that's why we can't blindly go wide receivers based off of a, a price change. Yeah, definitely. I think the wide receivers to really 
look out for when you're looking at these price drops is the wide receiver one types and the types who are seeing those eight, nine, ten target averages. Because as you mentioned, TJ, there are going to be a lot of those lesser wide receivers, even when you filter for 10 projected points. Just looking at four for four's projections for this week, uh, there are 57 receivers projected for 10 or more points in PPR scoring. So you're usually looking at all the wide receiver ones and twos on a team. But if you just kind of are looking at guys who see a ton of volume and are just kind of having a bad stretch, you know, think of guys like a Brandon Marshall or Allen Robinson or DeAndre Hopkins this season. I think those are the guys that it makes a lot more sense to target with the price drops, whereas your guys who are going down in price but aren't seeing that much volume, um, it's not going to be as reliable. But we know these guys seeing a lot of volume are historically and statistically speaking uh, going to regress to the mean at some point. Yeah, moving on to tight end, this is uh, a stat that really caught my attention. If we look at tight ends whose price has dropped $300 or more over the past month and projected, I, I used uh, projected for at least eight points because tight ends just score, score fewer points, but that should pretty much encompass all of the starting tight ends. On DraftKings, we saw uh, players perform five points over expectation based on their salary, and that was with a 73% consistency. On FanDuel, they the tight ends with a with recent price drop scored 2.9 points over expectation. That was with a 62% consistency. So we're seeing when tight ends have a recent price drop, uh, really not hard for them to outperform their expectation. And there's quite a few reasons for that, I think. Uh, tight end's just a cheap position overall. So a price drop for a tight end can be uh, drop them into pretty much free zone, especially on a site like DraftKings where uh, if you get a tight end down to like that 3K number and he scores a touchdown, um, he can really outperform his his expectation. And because it's such a volatile position, uh, it's, it's a spot where maybe these sites shouldn't be reacting to uh, recent performance as much as it looks like they might be so tight end probably uh, should see some really huge peaks and valleys which we would expect but the salary reacting to that change in performance really gives us a opportunity to exploit these situations because we're going to be able to pretty much define a tight end's role in his offense um, fairly accurately because usually he's not competing with another tight end. Usually if a, a team has a role carved out for a tight end, that's going to remain the same where, where sometimes some uh, wide receivers might be competing for targets on the outside. We know where that tight end is going to fit in the mix. So uh, really interesting data there on the tight end position. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to the fact that tight ends are the cheapest skill position and they're very touchdown dependent. And the average tight end or most tight ends are going to score once every two to three games. They're going to average between 0.3 and 0.5 touchdowns per game. So naturally, that means they're not going to score touchdowns in half to two-thirds of their games. And when they don't, their salary likely goes down. And then when they do score a touchdown, it's pretty easy for them to exceed salary-based expectations because they're so cheap to begin with and a touchdown is going to be worth at least seven or so points on its own so uh, I think that really explains the 
the tight ends. Um, that was some really interesting data there. Shout out to Jonathan Bale. Shout out to Peter Jennings. Um, great work those guys have done over there. Uh, notable price drops for this week. Matt Ryan, 6,800 on DraftKings. That's the lowest it has been since week six. Julio Jones, 8,300 on FanDuel. That's the lowest he's been since week 13 of the 2014 season. Devontae Booker is down 1,900 on DraftKings and 1,400 on FanDuel over the past two weeks. And he has 25 touches um, in each of the games over the past two weeks. Aaron Rodgers, we talked about him. His $8,500 FanDuel salary is the lowest of the season. His $6,700 DraftKings salary is the lowest it's ever been. Jordy Nelson's $7,400 FanDuel salary is the lowest it has been since week 17 of the 2013 season. And his DraftKings salary of $7,000 is the lowest since week 2 of the 2014 season. A few more, Randall Cobb, 5400 on DraftKings, that's his lowest price ever, 6300 on FanDuel, it's the lowest it's been since weeks 8 of 2012. DeAndre Hopkins, 6700 on FanDuel, is the lowest it has been since week 4 of 2014, and 6K on DraftKings is the lowest it has been since week 16 of 2014. Allen Robinson, 5800 on DraftKings, is down 2500 from week 1, and it's the lowest it's been since week 5 of 2015, and Marvin Jones. 4,400 on DraftKings is down 3,200 from its season high. And then 5,600 on FanDuel is down 2,200 from its peak as well. I know you have a couple thoughts on Marvin Jones, TJ. Yeah, I mean, he's just a guy that stands out to me in terms of price drop because we saw him, uh, we saw that volume kind of come back last week. And I think it's a spot where uh, people might not realize that he had that volume, but could be a really sneaky tournament play this week uh, because we talked about how this is a game that should be really high scoring on both sides. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Golden Tate, so I do kind of like that as a pivot play. Uh, I already talked about Aaron Rodgers and Booker. I think Matt Ryan and Julio Jones will end up being a little bit chalky, but still definitely worth pointing out their volume and their uh, price drop there. Yeah, Marvin Jones. I mean, we talked about him last week on the podcast about how even though he was coming with a pretty massive price drop last week, we don't want to just blindly target those price drops. We talked about how it was a short slate, and maybe because of that short slate, people would be on him more than they otherwise would be. But um, he really, they would, if it wasn't a short slate, just looking at the price drop, there would have been no other reason that would have really landed you on Marvin Jones in a tough matchup with the Vikings potential coverage from Xavier Rhodes. But this week, I think it's totally different. I think you have that price drop, but you also have a great matchup with the Saints. Golden Tate um, is the high floor kind of guy, and he's also more expensive. But Marvin Jones does have the most upside. He scored the third most points in a game of any wide receiver this year against Green Bay early in the year, 11 targets last week. He's eclipsed 80 yards, um, twice as much as Golden Tate has. So Jones is the the tournament play. Tate's the cash game play for me. Love Jones, love Willie Sneed on the other side of the ball. I think those guys are the leverage plays in this game. That about does it for us for this week. We thank you guys for tuning in and checking us out every week. Uh, encourage you to go to 444.com and compete with us 
for a seat to the 4 for 4 DraftKings Championship. Uh, also, check out the 4 for 4 DFS subscription and check out rostercoach.com. It's an interactive DFS video tutorial site that TJ Hernandez founded and it's a really great site has a ton of helpful dfs videos and the site also offers one-on-one dfs coaching if you guys are in a crunch for time and you just want to take an hour out to catch up on dfs or you just want to review your previous results to find out how you're doing and where you're going wrong or something like that the one-on-one coaching is very valuable. We've had some great feedback for that. So check out rostercoach.com. Follow rostercoach on Twitter at rostercoach. Follow TJ Hernandez on Twitter at TJ Hernandez. And follow myself on Twitter at Chris Raybon. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. TJ, any last words? Every day I'm getting this money. Let's get this money. Think you're tripping with, yes, I'm the boss. 745, white on white, that's Rick Ross. I keep them wide, I keep them long, I keep them fat. I keep them coming back, we keep them coming back. I'm in the distribution, I'm like Atlantic. I got them pretty things flying across the Atlantic. I know Pablo, Pablo. Noriega, the real Noriega. He owe me a hundred favors. Petty player, we buy the whole thing. See, most of my homies hustle, they still do their thing. My roof back, roof back, my money ride. I'm on the pedal, show you what I'm running like. When they snatch black, I cry for a hundred nights. He got a hundred bodies serving a hundred lights. Every day I'm hustling, 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 every day. I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling. Every day I'm hustling.